Welcome to Irish Passport. Uh, let's do it. Welcome to the Irish Passport. I'm Tim McInerney. I'm Naomi O'Leary. We're friends. Can you to Naomi? Anwar Fad Tim. This is your passport to Irish culture, history and politics. Uh-huh. I'm recording. One, One two, two, three. three. Okay. Welcome back to the Irish Passport Podcast. And today we are coming to you from the departures lounge of Dublin Airport, lovely Terminal 2. I'm flying back home after a momentous week in Ireland for the weekend. I mean, we've just witnessed history here in Ireland. Ireland has voted by a large majority to overturn its famous near-total constitutional abortion ban. Now, we have made a few episodes on this in the past, so if you want to go back and check out the history behind it, you can. Yeah. We, we recorded our first conversation just, like, digesting the events and the results, uh, which was in O'Donoghue's pub in Dublin. And now, guys, we have to put our hands up. The sound quality isn't the best, so apologies for that. Yeah, but we thought there was value in recording our first conversation, just our raw reaction to these what was basically the Mm. most momentous day in Ireland either of us have ever seen. Yeah, absolutely, because Ireland really has been changed forever after this vote, and you'll have to listen in to hear the reasons why. So remember to share the podcast if you like it. Do uh, subscribe. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter at at Passport Irish. And all the relevant links are on www.theirishpassport.com. All right, let's head over to our chat in O'Donoghue's and I can get my flight. Tim, we explain where we are? We are, we are in O'Donoghue's pub. I, mean, I think it's fair to say it's an old haunt of ours. Ah, uh, yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's a, it's a very nice pub. Come here and have a pint if you want. It's amazing. There's, yeah. there's trads going on in the courtyard. And, you know, it is a lovely little pub. So we're actually... We've, the referendum has just happened, and we haven't talked about it yet. No. So we want to record our first conversation. Our first impressions. The two of us having witnessed history, I suppose. I suppose so. Uh, listeners, please... Please take into account that I had one too many glasses of lovely red wine last night, and <laughs> my head is a bit sore. Many of us did. I think many of us did. Tim, I have the stats here. Tim, the result was 66%. On the, the final official result was 66% on a turnout of 64%. Which is pretty much sensationally historic. It's, it's incredible. Like, if you ask the most optimistic yes campaigner, they would not have told you anything like that. Everybody thought that it was going to be maximum something like 53 or 55 percent if like they thought they were going to be lucky to pass it yeah and that turnout is one of the highest ever in an irish referendum right i know it doesn't sound that high but they people don't tend to turn up that much for a referendum for whatever reason mm. um but in this one people turn, so that's an enormous mandate for what the government was proposing which was to get rid of the near total constitutional ban on abortion in Ireland and to legislate for abortion without having to give a reason up to 12 weeks and in specific circumstances after that, such as a fetus that has a fetal fetal abnormality and other such cases. So what this means effectively is that two out of every three people that you see on the street have voted in favour of this referendum. It's absolutely massive. It's insane because this is one of the most divisive issues in Irish political history, there, there isn't anything that's been so divisive as this. And everybody thought the country was more conservative than this. So yeah. it's like, it's a shock. Everybody's <laughs> shocked, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're in shock. I mean, yeah. I think it's really interesting that a lot of people didn't 
talk very openly about it. Like, for instance, I was in a taxi the, the day before the referendum. Yeah. And the referendum, of course, came up because there were posters absolutely everywhere. And we talked the entire way in the taxi about the referendum without either of us saying which side we would have so supported. So you were just, like, edging around each other. Just that. in case, because yeah. we didn't want to bring it out. So I think a lot of people thought that the country was full of these shy no's, that a yeah. lot of people were going to vote against the referendum, but they didn't want to bring it up. Well, what it turned out was the country was full of shy yeses, yes. and that everyone was actually on the same level, more yeah. or less, on this. But yeah. we couldn't, we didn't know. We were all, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's really, it's really nuts. And, like, compared to the opinion, opinion polls before the they said it was going to be something like 58%, I think the most recent one. Right. So what happened was the entire yes vote came out and basically all the undecided went yes. Yeah. That's the only way to... to and that completely bucks the trend of all previous referendums in Ireland where, in general, the result is against whatever the government is proposing and is always more to the conservative side than, than anticipated. Yeah. So it's completely different from everything else that's come before Absolutely. on this incredibly divisive issue. When did you find out what the result was going to be and what was your reaction? Well, I was actually having dinner with my family and we didn't expect to find out until half past 11. That was when the official exit polls were coming out. But there was an earlier exit poll by... It was um, the Irish Times. The yeah. Irish Times. And normally that wouldn't really mean much because the, the results are normally so tight in referendums. Uh, but this early exit poll showed an unambiguous landslide. I think it was 68% uh, in favour. So no matter, even if you put on a 15-point margin of error on that, you know, you were like, it was going to be difficult to say that this had lost. Yeah. So it, uh, there was a strange kind of feeling of, um, we can't believe this because th there's nothing official about this. Yeah. Um, but also, this has to be true. And I think there was a, a state of actual shock. Naomi, how did you find out? Very similar, very similar. I got wind of that Irish Times poll, but you see, Irish Times didn't say when they're, they're bringing it out. Very cunning move uh, by them in, in media terms. They didn't. They, they absolutely scooped RTE by, by blasting it out exactly after polls closed. Um, and it was this shock result. I saw it on Twitter, and then I looked, I looked at the Irish Times story... Uh, and I was driving in the car with with my mum and my sisters and my brother, and I just I, I just started sort of hyperventilating, and I, I read out this, the story to them. I said, "They're saying it's a landslide. They're saying it's a landslide," and I just I just read it out, and people were like, "No, no, no, we can't trust it. We can't." Say. Nobody wanted to be so horribly disappointed, mm. so they were afraid to trust it. But I knew because of the in I knew exit polls are much more accurate than ordinary polls because they, they measure how people actually voted, not mm. how they say they're going to vote. And it's there's a no, complete, right? There's no undecided voters in an exit poll. So they're much more accurate. A sensational moment. A sensational moment. I didn't sleep. I don't know about you, Tim, but I snatched a few hours of sleep and mm. then I woke up in the same unbelieving state. It was weird, though, in the same way. Like, I was just not reacting. It was shock. It was mm. shock. I couldn't, I couldn't quite believe it. I couldn't adjust to it. Um, and I yeah, kind of got, gathered myself together and then I got into, into Dublin Castle. And it was, it was only then when I was around the people that I began to get a bit teary mm. and just, I felt exhausted. Yeah. Like it had taken so much out of everybody. Everybody gave so much to this campaign. Mm. It was exhausting, emotionally exhausting. I mean, even watching a debate, I don't know about you, Tim, but I would feel exhausted. Absolutely. After and adrenaline, full of adrenaline. You couldn't yeah. sleep after the debates, even, yeah. because they were so intense. Um, I think, I like. so worried about what it would be. So worried. Yeah. I, I, I think that there's a really interesting uh, thing that happened on the day of the voting. 
uh, the, uh, the day of the voting, um, I was, I, again, I was in Ireland with my family, and I was on the beach. It was a very beautiful, sunny day uh, in Galway, so I was down on the beach with my mum, yeah. and we were both reading our books, and there was um, there was a woman just up the um, up the beach from us, and we, we live in Galway, a lot of people speak Irish. She was a girl goer, and she was uh, speaking in Irish on the phone. She wouldn't stop. She wouldn't shut up. Like, <laughs> and we, she was really annoying us, trying to read our books. But like, what I realized was happening was that she was ringing every single person she knew and asking them to vote yes. She was ringing mostly, the reason she was speaking Irish was she was ringing old people out in Connemara, uh, Awami, she was saying Awami, which is, you know, her mother, and Awamo, which is her grandmother, and she was explaining every single part of the referendum, how it came in in 1983. She was explaining everything about Savita Halepanaber, who died of of sepsis because of the AIDS, and she wouldn't stop. And that was her day, which I thought was so significant to think of that, out in the far reaches of Connemara, to think that that kind of political mobilization so progressive was happening. Okay, so... I was down in Dublin Castle yesterday when the results were coming in and people started to gather for the announcement of the official results. And basically Dublin Castle, that was the seat of British rule in, in Ireland for centuries before independence. And it's where the, it was where sovereignty was actually handed over to the new free state, um, in 1922. And, um, it, so it's a very significant place and it's where the results of the marriage equality referendum were announced. And people began to gather there about lunchtime yesterday. A very emotional, some of them in tears, yeah. um, covered in, in repeal memorabilia, majority of women um, singing, lots of, lots of uh, women with young families, mm. many pregnant people, notable, yeah. and um, uh, sometimes they were having little picnics with their toddlers and things, it was a really electric atmosphere, I wouldn't say, um, I wouldn't say celebratory quite, more like a kind of jagged relief. Yeah. Um, and uh, every time a, a campaigner on the yes side, a prominent one, came in, the whole place erupted in cheers. They could barely cross the square for the people thronging them and clapping. So I took a bit of the atmosphere in that square, and um, we'll hear some of those box pops now. That was the arrival of Alva Smith of Together for Yes in Dublin Castle as the results of the vote become known. My name is Audrey O'Reilly. I live in Paris, so I'm one of the home to vote people. And I came home and canvassed as well because I was just saying to my friend Ronan, as a woman in her 40s, I feel we took the eye off the ball for so long that it was time to pick up the baton again and run with it. And this is, it just feels like living in a new Ireland. We're just blown away by the landslide. If we, we would have been happy if we scraped through at a landslide. It's just, we're a better country than I thought we were. There you have it. And how long are you home for? Uh, well, I'll be going back now Tuesday. No, I came home um, I came home for a communion, irony, and then stayed on to, to canvas, etc. And then, of course, to vote. Where, where were you canvassing? Around Ballincollig and Cork City Centre. What was your impression there on the ground? We were just talking about it and I was saying that I really was very nervous. Very, very nervous. There was, and what was really shocking is we'd op- the door would open, this old fellow would come out and we'd immediately kind of go, no. And he'd be a hard yes. And then there'd be some young middle class woman in a beautiful estate and she'd be a hard no. So it really was impossible to call. So I was 
very, very, very nervous. <laughs> gotcha. And we recently on our podcast interviewed Kieran Cannon, who's the Minister for the Diaspora, who was the no campaigner. Are you happy with a no campaigner representing the diaspora as a member of it? That would be a no. <laughs> yeah, my name is Ronan Butler, and I just got in the last few weeks, um, contacted my local Together for Yes crew, and they said, turn up on Wednesday and start knocking on doors. And I was just saying to Audrey, I think I got more out of it than I gave. It was one of the most profound experiences of my life. It really was incredible. Well, just I think the openness for people just to have conversations. I was so struck by when you knocked on the door. Um, there was a le- Everyone was super polite, but people really wanted to engage and they wanted to talk things through and everyone seemed open to people's perspective and that's what I thought was just really beautiful about the process that openness to perspective when I was just walking here today I just noticed that Irish women are walking taller today and it's beautiful it's been a hard month for Irish women and this is a very very welcome relief a needed relief can I just ask you how does this day feel for you? Terrible well I'm looking at all these young people and they're after voting for to bring in abortion into the country. I'm a no voter, and I'd say I'm in a minority minority here today. And it's like a carnival atmosphere here today. And hard cases make bad law. And I do have compassion for the people who felt it necessary to go away and have and terminate. But I think this will open the floodgates to abortion on demand in the future. I guess that might be your view, but you can't impose it on everybody else, it would appear. No, you can't. No, no, they're all entitled to do it. But as I say, I still don't think it's right. And I, I could never... Ch- the thoughts of a baby being killed is... I just find it terrible. Can I ask, were you out campaigning during this? No, I didn't. No, I just... Um, only one person came to the door uh, looking for a, a yes vote. And I just said no. But uh, no, no, I didn't campaign and I'm not belong to any... I'm just an ordinary citizen who feels that, um, as I said to you, I'm looking around here and I'm seeing babies. And I feel like people here have babies with them. And maybe if I had this was in four or five years ago, those babies may not be here. I guess they're probably wanted babies. But... Uh, um, is it a surprise result for you? Well, I thought it might get through, but I didn't think such on a scale. You know, I, I really didn't. Uh, I'm kind of astounded that it's. I thought it might be tighter. Uh, my name is Hannah Deasy. I'm 34. I do communications work, and I'm a chair of the Labour Party Campaigns Unit. Okay. So, can you tell me what it feels like here at Dublin Castle today? It feels incredible. I said to someone earlier walking down here, I feel like this huge relief and release and some sort of sense that something that for a long time we believed was to be true, that Irish people valued Irish women as equal citizens, but yet there was always this feeling that we were under threat, under the chill of the Eighth Amendment, and the idea that Irish people have come together so forcefully to say we believe that women should make decisions themselves and have access to healthcare at home in a regulated and safe way is it's it's truly moving in a profound emotional way i'm from the western Ireland, from mayo and you know it would have it would have had one of the higher votes for the amendment back in 83 i think the highest in the country if i'm correct um 
and my hometown, the ballot boxes, the t- first tallies had it coming in at 70% yes. Now that's, that's phenomenal because, you know, when I, when I visited home and I'd try and ask people about it, the impression I got that was that people weren't really talking about it very much. It's an uncomfortable topic and people didn't want to fall out with friends that they disagreed with. Uh, and like even when I spoke to like say my mum and my sister, like, like, my mum of a generation, you know, she's a devout Catholic, um, uh, you know, she's involved in the church and all that kind of thing. And but she she really grappled with it, you know. It, it, she she was eventually brought over the line by this desire to stop living in a society of of, of shame and secrecy. And she thought about what what she, what she would do if you know if one of my sisters ha- had a crisis pregnancy or, or or she has a granddaughter now too. Um, so people genuinely thought about it. And it. You don't win a campaign like this by I threw through just sloganeering or campaigning. It it was really patient, slow, difficult conversations or things that no one really talks about for many years in between. And um, people were brought over the line by that kind of patient work. You know, that, that's that's what I meant about maybe being a more mature society because we just didn't bother talking about it, we avoided talking about it because it was clouded in embarrassment and uh, you know, and taboo. So like, it, it's, it's huge. Like just when I, when I saw the results coming in from home, um, especially now like living in Dublin, which obviously has a more like socially liberal profile, it really I was just beaming with pride in, in, in terms of like what it actually represents for my hometown as well to do that. Yeah, it's a big day. Okay, my name is Javika. I'm 23 years old. I'm from Dublin. And um, what does today feel like? It feels, it feels very good. We've been fighting for this for a while. And it, we were very worried. And it's just great that the people of Ireland have trusted us. Were you involved with the campaign? Yeah, um, I was doing some of the digital marketing. So the Google Ads before we got shut down for the campaign. And then I was doing the home to vote thing where I was throwing money at people to get them home. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm really poor but we have we, we have repeals. So that's good. And what was it like getting shut down on Google? Do you think that had an impact on the campaign? Well um, on one hand Together for Yes and the, the campaigns we were working for had a lot less funds to spend on advertising than the than the no side did. So it was a case of we would we would have run out of funds in a way that they didn't. They clearly had a lot more money, but um, we would have, you know, the company I work for, we, like we specialise in that, we would have smashed them. So you know, it was a missed opportunity because I don't think I would have been as worried if we'd had the opportunity to, to help spread spread the information like that. But that is. And did you feel the campaign shift at any point? Were you, or were you always confident? No, I was never confident up until. The exit poll last night, the second exit poll, I wasn't confident. Any idea what might have changed it? Just real women, you know, people realising that there's faces behind all of the statistics and the hard cases and people getting over their mistrust of politicians really and this like you know demon woman that people don't like to think about I'm Kelly McGlynn I'm 22 uh, I'm from Dundalk which is at the border uh, with Northern Ireland uh, I'm a copy editor uh, and I'm absolutely delighted uh, I couldn't be more relieved uh, still quite sick to the stomach uh, the nervousness hasn't quite dissipated yet but um, do you think this is going to have an impact 
cross-border. Well, there's certainly a lot of people who are thinking of, you know, our sisters up, uh, up north. And, and as well, like, marriage equality is also an issue up there. And, you know, I'd be very... Because a lot of them came down to help us out, so I'd be very much up for supporting them, supporting, you know, an expansion of rights up in the north. So, the north is next? According to a sign I saw earlier, yeah. <laughs> women have a voice and women have a choice. Does today feel very significant? I think it feels very significant, one, to be Irish, because I think we are absolutely amazing. Um, I think the world should take a look at Ireland and follow by example, because they're really, instead of dividing people, they're really coming together, bringing people together. And I think it's a wonderful thing to be Irish today. So you just rocked up at Dublin Castle to see the result. Why is it important to be here today? Uh, Like, I just wanted to kind of, like, it's such a a long-fought battle for like something that's so basic and so decent like that turn, like turn, like I, 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 I want to be in it when it's happening yeah I understand and how about you uh, what's your name uh, my name is Jed and what's the significance of today for you uh, I suppose it has a special significance uh, I'm the festival director of Dublin Pride uh, we had our very first parade in 1983 and it was helped by the people who were trying to fight against the Eighth Amendment. It's now 35 years later, and we're about to have our first festival where the Eighth Amendment doesn't exist. And finally, we get to celebrate the people who have spent the last 35 years celebrating us. Isn't that something? So that's a long history of um, solidarity then. Yeah, it's, we've been intertwined since the very beginning. Uh, Our very first march was supported without the help of the people, the women who were organising to fight against the Eighth Amendment. We wouldn't have had our first march. So we've been in this for 35 years together. Could you tell me, as someone who wasn't around in 83, what was Ireland like then? How different was it? Ireland was a very different country. It was a place where, in 1983, it was acceptable in an Irish court to kick a gay man to death. It was unacceptable to deny women health care. There were a lot of injustices and oppressions that were accepted under Irish government and under Irish law. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot different today. In your observation, what do you think is behind that change? <laughs> people are behind the change. The thing about oppression is most people aren't oppressed. Most people are oppressed. And when people decide to stand up, we can accomplish anything. And, and that's what's achieved it. It's deciding that we're not going to do what we're told anymore, that we're going to do what we know is right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Tim, what are your thoughts after hearing well, those people? <laughs> well, like, I mean, it's hard not to be uh, a little emotional. I think, well, like, picking up on, I suppose, the last few points that we heard there. Uh, since the very beginning of the campaign, there were comparisons made with the same-sex marriage uh, referendum, uh, which just happened two years ago, and which was also a landslide. I remember 
I was in around Dublin Castle for that result as well. Right. And just as this time, it's the North next, then it was it's repeal next. It was right. in, it was the immediate next issue that everybody committed to. Right, absolutely. Yeah. I remember it well. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, to put that referendum in context as well, I mean, there were a lot of criticisms internationally about the referendum, and quite rightly, because it was a majority essentially voting on minority rights. Um, so, like, it was a, an unfortunate situation to get into, and the, major- and the majority had no vested interest in protecting the minority. You know, it didn't have anything to do with them, but they did. It was a it was a massive show of compassion, and the same thing has happened here. Uh, like it's a massive show of compassion uh, in the form of democracy, and I think that's it's, it's even it surpassed well it surpassed the same sex marriage um, referendum by four four percent. Absolutely massive. Yeah. It's massive and a higher turnout as well. The other thing is just to make clear the reason why we have to have referendums on this stuff. It's, it's, it's because that's the only way to get something out of the constitution. It's yeah. The only way to, to change the constitution. So we have to have these referendums on issues that one might say are ideally best not tackled by referendum. But in a way, Tim, I mean, looking back, like, this is a journey that all of Ireland has gone on together. Yeah. And, you know, no one can claim Irishness to be unaccepting or, or to kind of exclude people and say they don't belong now because the, the country has emphatically said they do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, so in a way it kind of paid off, even though it was undesirable to begin with. We, it, of course, everybody to grapple with the issue and yeah. to move forward together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, another really interesting factor, I think, as well, is yeah, the Citizens' Assembly. Yeah, they had 99 citizens that were representative of people of Ireland, a bit like you might choose someone for jury duty. These people were chosen to hear evidence for months about this issue and come up with recommendations for legislation. And, and they recommended for, for a referendum to, to remove this, this wording and for the legislation that the government's not going to bring in. People are saying that was wise. That long lead-in period was actually needed. It was, it was criticised at the time. Yeah. You know, it was seen as the government putting things on the long finger and trying to avoid a referendum which they felt would be acrimonious and have dubious kind of political upsides for them. Mm. Um, but actually, it paid off. Now, whether or not that was sort of by design or accident, I don't know, but it mm. did. In the exit poll that RTE did, it showed up a really high level of education on the topic. So right. when they quizzed voters about how much they knew about this or that to do mm. with it, it came out really high. Like they, they really knew a lot, which which is like against the stereotype of referendums. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Really denigrated as like, oh, you put this thing to people and people really don't know what they're voting on. But this lead-in period and the citizens that before seems to have really paid off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that issue of voters educating themselves and discussing themselves is really impressive. Uh, when you yeah. think about it, because this isn't an easy issue. And yeah. to vote yes uh, in this referendum, you have to inform yourself really quite a bit in order to understand yeah. what that meant. Uh, that meant that two-thirds of, um, the, of the voting population had really engaged with this. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, had, had really informed themselves, which is a huge, really good reflection, I think, on uh, public life uh, involving a, themselves. Which was a really healthy democracy. Mm. This is one of the international implications of it, because... Um, we're in a moment now where democracy as a concept is under challenge in a lot of it, you know, the places where it's been most longest established. Mm. And a lot of people are asking, how can we make democracy relevant again? Do people feel disengaged with it? Does it need to be tweaked? And that Citizens' Assembly pro- uh, process was a kind of deliberative, direct democracy. But just to dig into some, to some of like the sort of granular results that are particularly Go interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. For example, Kilgarvan. Oh. Tim. This is what the Healy rays that we've been featured in our <laughs> Away with the Fairies episode. They were they were very um, 
staunch no campaigners yeah. to the extent where they would heckle people in the doll when they were talking about the referendum things like that um, and their own hometown of Kilgarvan voted 56% yes right so yeah the, the, vo- they, the voters were not on board with them they Absolutely. were behind the citizens and this is reflected across the board like the Irish public has been shown to be way more progressive than its political class and, and in a very, the Irish public seems to believe extremely different things than the politicians think that they believe, which yeah. is fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. Uh, on, on that level as well, uh, another um, another constituency that we looked at was Kieran Cannon's constituency East. in yeah. East Galway, and he um, he he told us that he was going to vote against the referendum. Yeah. And he told me personally, not in that interview, that he thought that it was going to come down to the line in this referendum, and he thought it was going to divide the country. Yeah. Now, what happened in his constituency is that there was a 60% vote for yes. Yeah. That is... Um, incredible. Absolutely incredible. And what's very interesting as well is that with a 60, of what we are at 66 in the whole country, rather than dividing the country like everyone thought, yeah. this has actually brought everyone together yeah. in a kind of unprecedented way. Absolutely. Like, they, what has passed with this kind of mandate? Nothing before, really. Maybe mm. the Good Friday Agreement. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, like in that in Galway East, for example, there were no TDs and no councillors who were actually campaigning for yes. No. So they were completely outstripped by the population, and it's embarrassing for them. Honestly, I think it's, it is embarrassing, and it's embarrassing for Kieran Cannon, who we interviewed, of course. He said that there was no way of telling how the diaspora felt on this issue. Huh. Mm. Look at home to vote, right. and we actually have data on that now. The Irish Times actually polled um, um, the diaspora on this issue. Let's, let's maybe like talk about what is home to vote. Home to vote is like all the people who travelled back to exercise their vote in the, in the referendum. Because in Ireland you can't vote unless you're actually physically present in the particular constituency where, where you're registered. And you're, you're only allowed to come back to vote up to 18 months yeah. after having left. Yeah. Uh, this, uh, there's a lot of reasons for this, for instance... Uh, the huge diaspora would have a very big influence if they could vote yeah. uh, from abroad. But there is talk, and I talked to Minister Cannon as well, about that maybe changing in the future. Yeah. Uh, but in the meantime, we saw, what, over 100,000 people? I don't know how many it was, actually. I haven't seen those statistics. But when, when it, I mean, it was overwhelming. People were talking about waves of people in repeal jumpers coming through Dublin Airport. And, like, with their bags. It, like, it was incredible. Yeah. And... There is um, a there is a hashtag on Twitter um, hashtag home to vote that was exploding yeah. with people taking photographs of themselves in the plane Global and um, there was another hashtag home to vote no and it was you know tumbleweeds there was really yeah. nothing there yeah um, I think there was more uh, home to vote yeses in an hour than home to vote no had in its entire uh, lifetime so according to this poll by the Irish Times of the diaspora ninety one point seven percent would vote yes. Oh, so God. that's ninety-two percent. That that's in line with the mo- the most staunch pro yes place in the country, which I think was one polling station in Stony Batter. Wow, which voted like that. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, wow. <laughs> the breakdowns of why people decided to vote were really interesting as well. I know that the number one majority reason mm. was a woman's right to choose. It right. wasn't even for hard cases like mm-hmm. oh they've been raped or they the fetus won't survive or something. It it was cho- choice. Right. It's, it's, it's absolutely astonishing. It's incredible. Yeah. All the politicians were afraid to, to campaign on that argument because they thought it wouldn't res- resonate with voters. And no, the Irish public had proven wrong. They had seriously underestimated everyone. Yeah. Now, what I think is, is interesting, I was talking to uh, a woman maybe in her 50s, and I'm not sure yeah. exactly age actually, uh, last night, and she told me she knew it would be a landslide. She said women like her have been preparing for this for 30 years, um, that they all had their children 30 years ago, 
and ever since they've been trying to make um, uh, this system different so yeah. that things can be better. Yeah. For instance, trying to take uh, religion out of the schools, yeah. trying to reform the school system, and this in very much in particular repeal the eighth. And she said every woman like her, she won't say it out loud, but every woman like her was going to be voting yes. Uh, that was interesting to do. I totally saw the same thing. I mean, the actual voting day, I was standing outside polling stations in Dublin, and I was just getting the mood of people, you know, asking them how they voted. I was reporting for Politico on it. And I had so many older voters who were telling me those stories. Um, the, the shy yeses um, aspect, I think, is, um, I mean, it's coming out in all sorts of ways now in retrospect. Um, something True. else that somebody had said to me was a canvasser who was canvassing uh, beside a big roundabout in Galway. And they were asking people to hunk. Uh, if they said yes. Yeah. And they said that on the way there, that a few older people with rosary beads had come out shouting murderers at them, uh, baby murderers. Yeah. Uh, one of them, she said, said, call the guards, so <laughs> call the police if we're murdered. Oh, wow. <laughs> but oh, uh, once they got to the roundabout, and they were a little bit um, shook and intimidated yeah. by these people uh, harassing them, but once they got to the roundabout and they put up the sign, honk for yes, suddenly every single car... Started, she said that the hair was standing up on the back of her neck, that once they were in the privacy, that little bit of anonymity, that they didn't of have the to car. say who they were, oh in the car, they could say it out loud oh and beep and beep and beep. So that was very interesting. So, I mean, the ultimate result says it all. It was a landslide and the only constituency that voted no was Donegal. And that was only by a tiny margin. Of only by a tiny margin, yeah. Uh, like, we don't want to talk down Donegal at Absolutely all. Not. Fair play to the campaigners there, you know. And they, um, did, they did a huge amount. Uh, to put it in context, by the way, Donegal is the northernmost county of the Republic. And it's probably the furthest from any urban centre. And it has a lot of out-migration. A lot of the young people would have left there. Yeah. Uh, so that w explains a little bit the, the discombobulation. Yeah, it puts it in context. Uh, and another, uh, I think, interesting comparison between the two of them is that essentially in both of those referendums, um, the no side were being led by the same people. Uh, the same groups, for instance, yeah. the notorious Iona Institute, which is a, a, a hardcore fundamentalist yeah. Catholic, uh, is it a private organization? Yeah. I think? The same people uh, who were voting um, or who were campaigning against this referendum were campaigning against same-sex marriage. They also campaigned against divorce uh, back in 1995, yeah. and they campaigned against the children's rights referendum. Contraception, everything. It's and always the same crowd. It's always Tiny the same crowd. group of people with extreme views. And it's again often and again. the same tactics they use, yeah. kind of fear, and they often bring children into it, um, images of, of children, like, true. straight away. Destruction of the family. That's true. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, so what was interesting to see was that each of these referendums, the divorce referendum, the children's rights referendum, the same-sex marriage referendum, and now this referendum, the opposition to those groups has grown exponentially, yeah. more or less, against them. And it's like an increasing mandate of rejecting that, Absolutely, and rejecting yeah. that image of Ireland. And I, I feel like because of that, this result in particular is a huge blow for the Catholic Church in Ireland. I, I mean, I, I have heard people describe it in that term specifically, like that this was about much more than access to, to health care for women. It was about th this moment where we're grappling with all these revelations about how women have been treated since the foundation of the state. How do you think, Naomi, Ireland has changed in the wake of this? It's, I mean, I think... Oh, it's so hard to say. Maybe it's something that historians will only know. I think maybe what it shows is that Ireland had already changed and we just didn't know it. Yeah. We just suddenly got this measure of how much Ireland had changed. Like, if you think about it, the last time that this law had been voted on was 35 years ago, which means that nobody had an opportunity to vote on this law under the age of 53. We've been living under it and we've been held hostage by 
these extremely uh, vocal, active, conservative extremists yep. who um, would stop politicians in the government moving towards liberalizing this at every turn. Um, and, and, and even even though the evidence of the impact on women and the dreadful cases were just rolling year in, year out, there was some other horror that would emerge that, were, that had happened. Yep. But we were held hostage by these people. I, it was mar- It was very notable that on, on the day when the results began to come out, the BBC asked me, did I know even one no voter that they that I could get to come to them and talk because they couldn't find any because they'd all turned wow. off their phones or they had had one scheduled and they cancelled. <sighs> they couldn't find any. They all just were in complete retreat. Right. Now, I think that's temporary. I think that's temporary. Yeah. They will be back because they're passionate. Yeah. And they'll be back and they will try and fight this. I was speaking to a doctor earlier and she was explaining how medicine, uh, like any science, is uh, something that progresses mm. uh, as you find more evidence over time. Mm. And there are cases with individual patients where something like whether a child in the womb will survive or not is 50-50. Yeah. Or, you know, a, a condition can be can be operated upon, mm. but it's only a small percentage that it will actually be successful. And it's definitely that the child will have terrible suffering. Mm. So there are these really nuanced, difficult calls. And she said, I, I anticipate that these people are going to start weighing in. And I have to say, frankly, leave it to the medics. Leave it to the experts. Like, your morality has no place. It's been shown to be in the minority, and it has no place um, in, in, in the doctor's surgery. Now, on that point, a, a really interesting factor of the landslide, which has, has changed the whole nature of the referendum now, is that it was expected that uh, if the referendum passed, that that would only be the first step, that the government would ha- would be facing a huge battle to try and put in legislation at the, and that they would be stopped by the opposition at every turn. Uh, but with, with so, what, 66% of the public behind them... On such a huge turnout. On such a huge turnout, yeah. that is very, very unlikely no, now. No, but, they can't, they can't. And even, even uh, TDs who, who were campaigning for no have said... We will respect the will of the people in this because it's just so overwhelming. When everybody thought it, would t- it was tight, they were saying, "Well, you know, the the forty five percent or whatever will have to be represented in some way." That's no. out the window. Yeah. Um, there's a very very clear mandate, and the so, so they should be able to put in legislation very soon. Um, in other words, in the in the coming months. Now, I mean, that is very significant considering all the pregnant women right now who are waiting to be protected uh, by legislation like this. You know, another quote unquote hard case could happen at any time. These are real people and this happens all the time. Yeah, uh, so the sooner that this happens really the better. Simon Harris has said uh, he's immediately going into the door to get permission to start drawing up legislation for their proposal uh, and then it will have to be debated. Uh, people might suggest amendments. It could be tweaked. It will, it, it will, go, it will go through the normal legislative process. Uh, everybody's expecting it to pass um, because I mean, there's just such an overwhelming mandate. Uh, the no side is very much in retweet, in retreat, in retreat. Retweeting on the mind, Naomi. <laughs> <laughs> but something that was really interesting was to hear people say, what next? Yeah, what next? Almost everyone I've spoken to has said that, what next? And it's, it's funny that we've been so long um, in a kind of battle <laughs> for it. this that we're not ready to give the battle up, even though it's, it's been won. That's the thing. A friend of mine compared it to having taken a really difficult exam. It's like it was all you were focused on for so long, and then it's 
the ordeal is over and now you're sort of bereft of what to think about and mm. what to focus on. But, I mean, Tim, it's absolutely mobilised the younger population. Yes, it has. Like, just looking at my my sisters, for example, you know, when we were in college... Your sisters, I, what age are they? Uh, they'd be in their early 20s. Mm. When we were in college, the student marks just happened, but they yeah. were mostly about student fees, as I recall. And their, just about. Their university years were defined by the repeal issue. Mm. Um, and that was very much in the wake of Savita Halavanava's death. Yep. And that absolutely galvanized the movement. So they would be out in repeal marches. All of their friends would be sporting repeal badges. All the yep. time. So it's really deeply politicized the younger generation. And it showed them how to do things like canvas. Yep. Like, how do you actually run a campaign? And I think everybody's hoping that that isn't something that will just fade away now. Yeah. Like, that energy can be fed into something something new now. And, and more constructive, yeah. yeah. Even more constructive, rather. It is an amazing demonstration of the power of democracy and yeah. the power of the political change. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, according to those exit polls, it was something like 87% of 18 to 24-year-olds were all on, on side yeah. with this issue. They were all, yes. Which is a huge solidarity. Yeah. Like It's incredible. And the other incredible thing is there's only one age group that didn't vote yes, and mm. that's the old, old, over 65. Over 65, yeah. yeah. Now, let's look northward, shall we? Because yes. so much has been said about this. It, now that the Republic has repealed the Eighth Amendment, Northern Ireland is really the only um, one of very few, one of three, I think, with Poland think it's and Northern Ireland, Poland, and Malta, and Malta, right, right. Have which have similar uh, abortion yeah. bans. Uh, and Northern Ireland is, of course, part of the UK, so this yeah. is a, this is an issue that the UK is really going to have to look at now. They've left. They've been left extremely isolated, mm. um, and. I mean, if you have abortion provision now in the Republic of Ireland, it's going to be a matter of crossing the border. So it does seem like it's going to be unsustainable. And the other aspect which we talked about in, in the last little half point with David McCann is the, is the momentum that comes from a vote like this happening in the South. That kind of huge public mandate for abortion access really does give an impetus uh, almost of shame to politicians up there to yeah. do something about this. This mm. is not acceptable. Uh, so I, it's immediately on the agenda. Amanda Ferguson, who's a, a journalist in Northern Ireland, she immediately rang the British government and she said, what are you going to do about this? Because technically, Westminster can just legislate for Northern Ireland. Right. They, no- could just, they could just legalize abortion if they want to do Listeners, Northern Ireland, if you, if you might remember, never had an Eighth Amendment. Yeah. They don't have to vote in this. The government can do it at any time, yeah. really. They can just legislate. There is an option called direct rule. Yes. So Westminster can directly actually introduce legislation for Northern Ireland, although it is controversial. And unlikely, considering that the DUP are in government at the moment with Theresa May, and the DUP are very much anti-abortion. That is the key thing. That mm. is the key thing. The fact that Theresa May relies for her majority on the DUP, and that the DUP are the bastion of objection to abortion. Naomi, you talked to David McCann of Slugger O'Toole. Uh, we, we put it on the pod, uh, uh, what, two weeks ago now? It's in, it would be interesting to revisit what he said now after uh, the, yes, the vote. Yes, Now, something, a point that he made was that this has implications for the Irish unity debate because part of the key fear for unionists in Northern Ireland about joining the Republic of Ireland was why would I want to be part of a state which is dominated by Catholic morality, where, you know, you have few rights for women. You have Magdalene laundries. Ma- that is not an attractive prospect. No. This changes that. This changes a key aspect of that. At this point, 
Ireland has voted by popular mandate to legalise gay marriage and broad abortion access in, in line with Western Europe, most of Western Europe. Neither of those things are available at the moment in Northern Ireland. Neither. So suddenly, the Republic Garden looks more progressive than Northern Ireland, and a younger generation could say... That looks like a better deal for me. At least that's what David McCann was saying. Right. So the, that's the next stop. Next stop, Belfast. And um, Sinn Féin have owned this issue. Mary Lou MacDonald, the president of Sinn Féin, has been one of the most visible um, figures campaigning for Yes, She was one of the few politicians to actually have her face on a poster in favour of this issue. Leo Varadkar was nowhere to be seen on posters, for example. He did not really own this. Mm. The major parties did not People were put afraid. their face on this issue. They were afraid to touch it with the barge pole. But Mary Lou went there. She did. She did, and she did very well out of it. Now, like, a, a famous image has emerged of her holding up the sign that you might have heard there in our report, um, a sign that says the North is next. And, of yeah. course, there is a wry ambiguity there in terms of a, of a united Ireland. There's a double meaning. There's a very clear double meaning that, yeah. A, the North is next for abortion legislation, and that, B, perhaps the North is next. That's the new issue for a unity. united Ireland. This, yeah. this is the campaign that Sinn Féin would want to see for a united Ireland. Right. Something that comes up from the grassroots, not top down. Mm. Something that, you know, really convulses the whole country yeah. in unity, you know? That there's an overwhelming landslide mo- movement towards this. That That is what they want to see because that's the only way that unity would actually work. But that actually... Because this seems so unlikely, and it actually happened, yeah, it could give them some hope. It's very interesting. I mean, the attitudes from um, the rest of the UK are quite interesting, too. I got a text almost immediately after the result from uh, an English friend, and he just asked quite straight away, are you going to have United Ireland now? So for him, the follow-up, <laughs> yeah. you know, was... Uh, you know, that was the solution that he envisaged for the, this um, problem, which is a very interesting point of view. And, and, and Jill, Paddy Ashton said the same thing. Mm. Paddy Ashton tweeted on Twitter, he's a, like a lord in the House of Lords, and he's a unionist. I mean, he said his grandfather signed the Ulster Covenant. He said, a United Ireland is looking attractive to me right now. Like he, said, oh. he said that on Twitter. I mean, it's incredible. Right. But what were you going to ask me? I, I was just going to point out that a few weeks ago, there was a poll done, yeah. and it showed that only 21% of people in that poll that means nationalist and unionist were in support of United Ireland. So that's a long journey to make, no matter what the situation is. Tim will be here all day <laughs> talking about this. Um, so listen, cheers. Cheers to cheers. you. And we'll enjoy our, our Guinness this year. Yeah, and we'll listeners, maybe you go out and get a Guinness in our honour, eh? <laughs> we'll, we'll resume normal service uh, in the coming weeks. To appeal. Thanks so much for listening.